This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. This is Max Flight, and I'm reporting from the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, held October 1st through the 9th, 2022. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the Balloon Fiesta. I think everyone has heard of the Balloon Fiesta, probably seen photographs with hundreds of hot air balloons taking flight. You might even have thought about attending sometime. Well, me too, and I did. Let me give you a sense for the scale of this event, the size. We're talking about 600 balloons, 800,000 visitors, and maybe my favorite metric, 450 porta potties. This thing is big. The 2022 title sponsor was ExxonMobil. Now, the main reason ballooning is so big in Albuquerque is because of what is called the box. And this is a atmospheric condition that exists here where the lower altitude airflow is in one direction and the upper altitude airflow is in the opposite direction. So, for example, you launch your balloon the air is flowing to the south. You drift in a southerly direction. At some point, you fire up the burners, increase your altitude, pick up that airstream going north, and head back in that direction, and then come back down, back to where the airflow is moving south, and you return to the general area where you started from. Now, this is a phenomenon that happens uh, very frequently, most, not all, but most days here in Albuquerque. Uh, other areas experience similar conditions, other areas in the world, but not with the consistency that we find here. So the balloon fiesta itself includes a large grass launch field. It's sectioned off into uh, rows and Columns. So, for example, there's site A1, A2, A3, and the next row is B1, B2, B3, and balloons are assigned on that uh, grid. Now, the launch field is surrounded by many RV camping areas. Most are dry RV camping. There's supposed to be a tent camping area, but I could never figure out where that was. Then, of course, there are the usual sponsor booths, exhibitor booths, and a huge number of food vendors. So, Here's the TLDR. You have to go at least once. The balloon fiesta is kind of like the Oshkosh of ballooning. Now, like Osh, it's kind of hard to describe adequately. When you experience it in person, you get it. But it's hard to explain it to someone else. Now, the hallmark event in some ways is the mass ascensions, where hundreds of balloons launch starting at 7 o'clock in the morning. This happens on Saturday and Sunday on both weekends of the event. On weekdays, there are other launch events. Now, during the balloon launches, you get right on the launch field, in and amongst the balloons, not behind a fence like at an air show or some similar kind of event. All around you are balloons being prepared, being filled, and launched. The propane burners that make the hot air are roaring all around you. Crews are sometimes fighting with the wind to get the balloons upright. When a balloon is all ready and the pilot gets the thumbs up from an official, up it goes. 
The crowd around the balloon yells and screams and applauds. Meanwhile, people in the basket going up wave frantically to the cheers of the crowd. Now, this repeats hundreds of times over the course of about an hour as you make your way through the launch field. You and thousands of other people are completely immersed in it. And I'm telling you, you have to go. There's nothing like it. Now, while some people attend the full week and both weekends, many others come for just a few days and go. But more on the best strategy for that later. But for now, listen to this conversation I had with Katie. She is the crew chief on Team Katawample. All right, I stumbled into, this is what, Team Katiwample? Team Katiwample, that's correct. And, and what's your name or your first name? I'm Katie. Hi, Katie. And tell me about Katiwample. What does that mean? Katiwample means to travel in a purposeful manner to a vague destination, which is exactly what we do in ballooning. We get in the balloon on purpose, but we never know where we're going to end up at. Well, I think you have my vote for best team, mate, team name based on that. That's for sure. Now, what's your role on this team? I am the crew chief. I take care of everything down here on the ground. My husband, Mike, he's the pilot. So when you say everything on the ground, can you give me some an, an idea of what those uh, things involve? Sure, absolutely. Um, when we're setting up the balloon, I kind of direct my crew. We have a team um, usually of about five or six people, um, and we have to set up the fan. We put the basket together um, with the burners and everything, and then connecting the envelope to the um, basket. And so I kind of just make sure that everything's flowing, that the balloon's put together correctly um, until we start inflating. Then the pilot gets involved once um, he stands up the balloon. Then after he launches, then it's my job as a crew chief on the ground to follow him around. And um, we communicate via radios. Um, and then when he's finding places to land, you know, I'll make sure that it's a good place where he can land, that there's access to the property and stuff like that. Um, if we're going to go into someone's um, yard, neighborhood and stuff, we'll check with the people that live there. Landowner relationships are always very, very important. Um, so we'll go up and wake people up and knock on their doors and ask them if it's okay if we land in their property um, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's what I do. Just make sure everything's kosher on the ground and make sure he has a great landing place and stuff like that. Well, it sounds like you're the most important person on this team. Of course. <laughs> and how long? That's what the pilot would tell you. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And how long have you been doing this? Um, we have been doing this for a little over eight years now. And so how did you get started? What was the spark? Well, we live in Albuquerque, so ballooning, of course, is what we do here. Um, my husband, he's been ballooning since he was a little tot. His mom got him involved in ballooning, coming out and crewing with other balloons for years and years. And eight years ago, we good friends of ours that are pilots, we started crewing for them. And my husband, the pilot, he just decided that crewing wasn't enough. He wanted to be a pilot himself, so... So if you decide to get into it, how do you get started? Where do you buy a balloon from? Do you buy a new balloon, used? How does that work? Well, it depends on how much money you want to spend, I guess. Um, balloons are kind of like cars. You know, you can you can get a Cadillac Escalade or you can get a Ford Focus, so to speak. So you have to go through training. You go through ground school, um, and then you do um, aircraft training and testing and all of that kind of stuff. So there's several uh, people around here that that do lessons and instruct and things like that. 
Um, so, and then buying balloons, um, there's several different places. I know a lot of the people here, they look online, you know, they've got the Facebook groups and everything where everybody's posting. You can buy a used balloon. You can buy a brand new balloon, design your own balloon, naming your balloon. That's the fun part. And I think maybe what some people don't realize is that this is a a regulated activity, right? You, You can't just become a balloon pilot because you decide you want to do it. That's right. Absolutely. Um, they, it's, it's official. You get a, a pilot's license and everything, just like if you were going to go get your license for a fixed wing aircraft. So the ground school is just the same for a fixed wing aircraft, but then you have your specialized aircraft. So, you know, so for ballooning, they have their specialized training on the balloon, just as you would in an aircraft. So they do have an FAA regulated license to become a pilot. And so when you were looking to uh, obtain a balloon, what are the kind of considerations that you had in mind? Color, design, size. Um, there's different brands um, like Cameron or Lindstrom. You know, you've got your different types of balloons and stuff. And some people are partial to different ones, just like people are partial to certain kinds of cars, that type of thing. So um, just really depends on, you know, the size that you want to fly, the different styles. There's different styles of baskets, different styles of balloons. So other than the balloon fiesta here, uh, how much flying do you do? We fly all the time. We um, are part of the Quad A here in Albuquerque. It's our ballooning association here in Albuquerque. Um, We have an event every single month um, with that. But when the weather's nice, you know, we don't like to pass up a Saturday morning to take our balloon out and go fly. So we fly quite often. You mentioned the weather, and that's one thing that that I've become more aware of since being here the last few days is that how the weather can dictate whether you, you fly or not. Yeah, yesterday was beautiful. It got a little windy towards the end, but especially at the beginning, it was just spectacular weather. Today, a little bit windy. Yes, that is correct. Absolutely. The winds determine everything that we do. Um, But the one thing that's really neat about Albuquerque is, you know, it can be really windy right now down on the ground. But as the sun starts peaking up, a lot of times it will clear up. It'll slow down um, and and then we'll be cleared to go. But unfortunately, we have those days where that wind doesn't slow down at all. So it definitely is determined by the wind. All right. Well, have a great day. I know we're having a great day in enjoying this. Um, regardless of the weather, it's fun just to, to walk around. People, when you see the spectators, the, the public that's here, they're all smiling. And, and people say hello as you walk by, and it's a friendly kind of atmosphere. It's really spectacular. And, and one of the big uh, impressions that, that I've had, especially after yesterday, is how you can be so close to the balloons and the activity right on the field. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of unusual compared to, like, uh, air shows or other kinds of events like that. So we're having a terrific time. I'm sure you will, too. Well, excellent. Yep, that's that's a really great thing here. People love to come up and see the balloons, and that's what we're here for. You know, we love to entertain the community, and Albuquerque um, Fiesta, it's something that everybody looks forward to every single year. So, you know, it's just it's a pleasure for us to put the smiles on everybody's faces. We just love that. All right, thank you so much, and have a great day. You too, thank you. Okay, we have a little addendum because we just learned something about one of the balloons that you fly that's really rather unique. Tell us about it. That's correct. We have a 160,000 cubic foot 
um, hot air balloon that is a wheelchair accessible balloon. So um, in the basket, we actually have um, a plexiglass ramp on it. And one side of the balloon is plexiglass. And in the bottom of the balloon, we have rails so that we can put a wheelchair in there. And we actually um, connect the wheelchair to the basket so that they're safe and secure in there. They can sit in their wheelchair um, or even just a chair if they're if they are a little bit mobile and can get out of their wheelchair we have a chair that we put in there and they can sit and enjoy their balloon flight and they can see out the plexiglass window Um, and so it's just such a blessing to be able to do things for people like that that wouldn't normally be able to climb into a basket so I'd never heard of such a thing this is very unusual I think Um, I don't think I've ever encountered it before the people that can fly with you in a wheelchair must find the experience just really exhilarating and and unique, and they must love the fact that they are able to do that, you know, with you, whereas uh, with others, no. Right. Absolutely. It's um, we are the only ones in the United States that have a basket like this. There are other baskets that do have doors on them that makes it easier for people to get into. But um, ours is specifically made for a wheelchair um, with the the brackets that um, lock the wheelchair into the basket and everything. And we've just had so many wonderful experiences with people. And and they're just so thankful that we were able to give them that opportunity to do something that they wouldn't normally be able to do. And what made you think of this idea? Well, when you were talking about buying balloons and stuff, you know, the pilots, they like to look at all the balloons that are for sale. And there was actually um, someone that was selling this balloon a few years ago. And we just saw what a great opportunity it was to buy this balloon and how we could bless so many people. And we've had people travel from all over the states to come and fly in our balloon specifically to be able to have that experience. Oh, fantastic. I love this. And we'll, of course, have more information about the balloons that you fly, the the team and so forth in the show notes for this episode. So be sure to look for those there. So again, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Next, I spoke with longtime balloonist Jim Lynch at the Whirlaway Balloon. I'm back again with Jim Lynch. And what's the name of the balloon here? The balloon is Whirlaway. And how long have you had Whirlaway? Uh, this Whirl Away, this is Whirl Away 2. Okay. Uh, I've had it since 2015. And what happened to Whirl Away 1? Uh, it just got high time, and uh, we had an opportunity to have head manufacturing uh, build as a new one, just exactly like the last one, so we took advantage of it. So what kind of fabric are you using? Uh, the fabric is ripstop nylon, and that's what's used in most of the uh, hot air balloons in the industry today. And the coating? Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the coating is. Uh, different manufacturers have a different coating that uh, they're certified with. Okay. And that's an important point that I think some people don't realize is that uh, balloons are certified. You can't just make a balloon, uh, make an envelope, and, and uh, start that, using it. That's correct. And uh, it's really funny because uh, uh, people will come up and say, where did you buy that? And I said, from a balloon manufacturer. says, right. I said, yeah, you, you just can't get these at Toys R Us anymore. <laughs> they're, they're FAA certified aircraft, and it takes an FAA certified pilot's license in order to fly them. That's right. And 
What's certified is the uh, the envelope, right? Not the not the basket or the burners. No, the baskets and the burners also have to be uh, be be certified. Uh, we can't just put anything on here. The whole system goes together. Like if if I was to change this basket or burner attached to that envelope. I have to make a logbook entry that that has been changed out, just like you would in a regular aircraft if you change something out from it. Okay, interesting. Now, the, the burners are, of course, propane. How much do you carry with you? I carry 40 gallons of propane. That'll uh, take care of about, oh, two hours plus reserve. Okay, now sometimes I see uh, two burners, sometimes just one burner. Is two burners a burner and a spare, or... Is- Sometimes you, no, need- you can use either one of them, uh, just like you would with a single burner. But a single burner is built so that there's redundancy in there, similar to what you have on two separate burners. So there is a, a redundancy to uh, which is required in most aviation products. But if I lose one burner, I have a crossover, just like a twin-engine airplane, and I can um, I can switch to the other side if need be. Now, when you look at these burners, you see the, the tubes, the coils. What's the function of that? We preheat propane. If we just do raw propane, you only get about 50% of the power from that propane. What happens here is the pilot light is pretty tall, and it warms up those coils the propane then goes through those warm coils and gets warmed up itself so that when we ignite it with the, um, with the flame, it, it, you hear the loud burst. So you're getting much more of an explosive action and higher BTU rating out of that propane. Generally, it's probably somewhere near 90%. Jim, when you're uh, getting set up here, of course, you array the envelope uh, on the ground, open, uh, laid out. And then generally start to inflate it with uh, with a, with a fan, an air fan. That's correct. We do cold air inflation. While the fan is on, we have two mouth people here holding the mouth open for the air to go into, and then we have a parachute top in the top that is held together on each gore. We have 24 gores on this particular balloon, so each one has a Velcro tab on it. So. We'll go and put that top in, so that seals the top, and we get a full cold inflation on that before we start our hot air inflation. Now, yesterday was uh, the first day, of course, Saturday, and it was a beautiful day. The weather was was great. The wind was fine. Towards the end of the the session, uh, it got a little bit windy, and I think some uh, some folks had some some trouble containing the uh, uh, the balloon. Um, as they were trying to inflate it, and some it seemed to abort, you know, the attempt because of the wind. Is is that something that happens often? And, and how do you tell when? Okay, enough is enough. We're not going to fly today. Every pilot has their own limitations. The balloon limitation is technically you can take off or land book value up to 15 miles an hour in this one. That's way out of my limitations. <clears throat> Here at Fiesta, it's 10. Really and truly, I'm looking personally for somewhere around eight or less. The other thing is, is whether or not it's forecast to continue to be that strong when we decide to land. I have taken off in three or four 
miles an hour here, only to have 15 when it came time to land. So uh, God's in charge of that, and unfortunately, our weather guessers uh, can't can't uh, can't guess through that sometimes. So I imagine there's a lot of skill involved in, in this. How long have you been flying balloons? Uh, 35 years. Great. So I understand that uh, the green flag's going up. So we're going to let you go. Thanks so much, Jim. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay. Green flag's going up. As you can hear, the crowd is excited. They have a, a system of uh, flags, red, yellow, green, to let everyone know what the conditions are and whether or not the balloons will be launching. So we had been under a yellow because it had been pretty breezy, uh, but apparently the conditions have improved enough so that they've gone green, and that's why the crowd started cheering because that means the balloons are going to start inflating. I had to end the conversation with Jim rather quickly because with the green flag, the crew was all signaling me to stop immediately so their pilot could get on with the launch. Now, there was a really good drone show some mornings and evenings, and I wanted to find out who put it on, and I had to kind of dig around, but I finally found out that it was Verge Arrow. I remembered that name from a discussion with David Vanderhoof on the UAV Digest some time ago. But what I learned was that more recently, Verge Arrow actually received a golden buzzer on AGT from Simon Cowell. Wow. After the first morning's drone show, I thrust the mic at Linda C. for her observations. Linda, what did you think about the drone show? I thought it was spectacular. Very sophisticated and precise and coordinated. And all the 3D effects and moving effects were amazing. Right. It wasn't just always a static image. There could be static components, but something within the image moving at the same time. Almost constantly. The designs and the movement, it was, it's, I can see where someday it's going to be almost like watching anime. The colors were pretty spectacular, too. I thought they had really good usage of color. Yes, it was way beyond any other drone show I had seen in the past. Because we have seen some other drone shows, and oftentimes they move very slowly. The drones take sometimes quite a bit of time to reconfigure into a different image, but that didn't seem to be the case here. Oh, absolutely not. The ones that I had seen before were more like the very early Pac-Man. It was more in a grid, and everything seemed to move in a square fashion and slowly, like you said. So this was quite something. And I think the crowd really liked it and really enjoyed it because there were some oohs and ahs and some laughter as uh, different uh, images appeared. So I think it was a real, a real crowd-pleaser. Yes, it was very fitting for the 50th anniversary of the fiesta. All right, thank you. <laughs> Linda did pretty well for her surprise and unexpected first appearance on the Airplane Geeks podcast. I had an interview with Glenn Moyer. He was one of the two event announcers. Glenn is also editor of the Balloon Federation of America's journal called, appropriately enough, Ballooning. I'm speaking with Glenn Moyer. Uh, he's the editor of uh, Ballooning Journal of the Balloon Federation of America. And uh, Glenn, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and to meet you and um, learn a little bit about the podcast. So hopefully I can be informative. 
I'm sure you will be, and I think our audience is going to be uh, uh, very uh, excited and enlightened to hear more about the ballooning activities that take place uh, not only here at Albuquerque, but in the country and in the world in general. But as the editor of the BFA, maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about that organization. What's the mission? What does the membership look like? Sure. The Balloon Federation of America, it's the national aero club for anyone interested in either hot air or gas ballooning, really any form of lighter-than-air aviation. Um, we encompass not just pilots and crew people that are actively involved in the sport, but even enthusiasts who simply like to come out to events like Fiesta and see the balloons and have an interest in um, maybe learning a bit more about them. Uh, we're welcome to their membership. We're a safety and education organization. We promote and work for safety in the sport. We try to educate those that are in the sport. We also promote it and try to bring people into the sport. So um, it, it is what any other aero club would be for a particular um, genre of aviation sport. And I noticed on the website that there are a number of membership categories. So as you mentioned, you don't have to be a, you know, a pilot to, uh, to belong to this. Um, there are even uh, student memberships and a wide variety. So I think it, it looks like everybody can find a, a membership option that suits them or that works well for them. And they're not terribly expensive. No, they're not. We did just have a dues increase announced today, as a matter of fact, as we're recording this. So our, our full membership is going to $60, $65. That includes a printed copy of the magazine. Uh, we do have an e-membership that is going from 35 to $45, where you can read the membership online, or the magazine, rather, online. But we also have niche memberships for those that are interested in competition, those that are interested in maybe being uh, working in the field of competition, but as scoring officers, uh, balloon meisters, uh, what we would term officials. Um, we have student memberships, library memberships. So we, we try to find an area for everyone to be involved that needs to be and wants to be. So in terms of uh, this event, the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta can you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how it's organized? And uh, there must be a lot of volunteers that participate in this uh, event. Um, there are. There are several thousand. There are others who could speak to that better than I because I'm technically I'm contract employee to the event as uh, the announcer, one of the two announcers. Uh, but, yeah, they have several thousand um what they call navigators, who are volunteers that work on all facets of the event, really, and really work almost year-round in many cases. Um, I, I think I don't, I'm not speaking out of turn when I say that once the event is over and they do the teardown, they take maybe a week or two off, and then it automatically starts into the planning for next year, as probably is the case with most any major event of this size. Uh, it takes a ton of volunteers. Um, there is a very limited staff. I think there's only 18 full-time staff that work for AIBF Inc. Uh, there is a board of directors of, I believe, 22 or 24 members, perhaps. And they come from all walks of life. They're not all balloonists. They're not all pilots. In fact, we were talking this morning on our show with the president of the board, and he said the one thing they look for in looking for someone to serve on the board of directors is simply a desire to serve and do something for Fiesta. So it's not an, you don't have to have a background in aviation or sp certainly lighter than air aviation. You just have to have a, a desire to want to uh, really have this event at your heart and work for its betterment. And what's your background, especially with respect to uh, ballooning? 
Well, my background is um, out of university. I got into radio and television. I was uh, uh, originally a disc jockey, then got into uh, television and radio news. Did about 20, 25 years in that field uh, and then discovered hot air ballooning um, and had the opportunity to, at the same time, both buy my first balloon, earn my pilot's license and go to work for a publication then called Balloon Life. And so uh, I was launching, had always wanted to be a freelance writer, and so I had moved out of broadcast into um, the written uh, journalism uh, as a freelance writer and then started out working freelance, then was hired as a sectional editor for the Balloon Life, and then eventually moved up to the editor's position. And from that, I moved on to become editor of Ballooning, a position I've held now for 22 years. I think uh, being an announcer at an event like this is one of the hardest things I can imagine. See, producing a podcast, I have the luxury of being able to edit this afterwards and and make myself and the others participating sound um, like they know what they're talking about. And uh, you don't have that luxury when you're announcing. You just have to, you know, it, it's live. Yeah, it, it takes a special person, I think, to be an event announcer. Um, one of the character traits that were identified, I guess, very early in my broadcasting career was the ability to ad lib, to talk off the top of your head. And that's exactly what the type of work we do as the, the announcers or commentators at ballooning events. Uh, that's what we do. It, it's all literally ad lib. It's off the top of your head. Sure, we do research. We have preparation. We have years of knowledge and experience that we call upon. But there is no script. Um, we sometimes have a, we'll have a time schedule perhaps that we need to go by, but generally you turn on the mic, we talk for three hours and you turn off the mic. Um, and not everyone is suited for that. Uh, some years, about five or six years ago, I was fortunate to team here with the original voice of Balloon Fiesta. That was Tom Rutherford. He and I worked together for 25 years. When he stepped away, we then had to find a replacement, uh, because it's too much for one person to do. And so we actually had some on-the-job interviews. We asked three or four potential candidates to come up and work with me during the event to see who had it and who didn't. Um, and we found Art Lloyd, who is my current partner, and he had all of those characteristics. We tried a couple of other people who had were one was a radio broadcaster, really nice guy, but not an, he was a studio announcer, not an ad lib guy, not a public address kind of person. So it takes a skill set. Um, and what most people would call the gift of gab. Yes. You know, if you don't got that, you, you don't need to get in the game. Now, do you do that at other ballooning events? I do. I've been doing it for about 35 years, actually. I started back in the 1980s uh, with a couple of events in Texas, in the, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where I was living at the time, um, and kind of grew a repu- built a reputation, and that grew. Um, I ended up getting hired by this event, that event, this event, that event, and now I do events uh, both in the United States and in the United Kingdom. Well, this is certainly the the premier, I guess I would call it, uh, ballooning event in the United States anyway. And I'm really not familiar with other ballooning events. Are there many others? There are. Um, and one advantage of being involved or joining the Balloon Federation of America uh, is getting into our website where you can then find a schedule of ballooning events across the country. There are events that are big and small. Uh, a lot of medium to small size events, 20 to 50 hot air balloons perhaps, uh, you know, minuscule in scale to what we have here, usually five to 600 balloons, of course. Um, but you can almost find a balloon event in the United States on any given weekend, um, all year round. There is a season, if you will. The main ballooning season is probably late spring 
to early fall. After this event, there's maybe one or two others, but there are wintertime events that you can find to attend. Um, and there are events all around the world. Um, ballooning is not, you know, univ- it's not exclusive to the United States by any means. Yeah, you know, Glenn, stereotypes can be dangerous, uh, but I, sometimes they're just interesting to, to contemplate. When you think about the kinds of people that are attracted to ballooning, can you characterize them in any way? Are there qualities that, that seem to, uh, you know, pervade that group? Um, as you say, characterizations, generalizations are dangerous. I would say um, it helps if you're an extrovert. It helps if you have a strong personality and uh, something or maybe you're something of a character, if you will, um, because, you know, you don't hang your butt in a little wicker basket under this great big colorful blob of hot air and and, and do that if you're shy. Uh, but but no, I mean, you, you can look at balloonists and they come from all walks of life. We have uh, a number that are self-employed, self um, self-starting business people, you might say. Uh, but there, you know, there's school teachers, there's dentists, there's doctors, there's lawyers, there's airline pilots, um, literally all walks of life. So you really can't characterize them except to say generally um, they are strong personalities and usually they're very giving people. Our sport, we have a lot of people in our sport who really enjoy sharing the sport. Um, it's something you have to do with friends and family anyway because of the role that the crew is involved. As a pilot in a balloon, you can't just go get in a balloon and go fly. You have to have friends to help. It's not like an airplane where you could just climb in, crank up the engine and go. Um, so the sport is very social, very interactive. And if that's something you're not comfortable with, you probably will not enjoy ballooning. Yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because in talking with some of the uh, balloon crew and, and others around here, they're... They're characterized. They're, they're named not by the the name of the balloon or the or the company. It's it's always got the term team at the end. It's the something or other team. It's a team of people. It's not like you say. It's not just the pilot and the balloon. There are really a lot of uh, tasks associated with preparing the balloon, getting it you know getting it up, chasing it, and all that. There. So I can see why or how it's a, a real social kind of a thing because you have this group of people that have to work together well in order to make for a successful flight. Absolutely. And the nice thing about it is there are tasks within the, uh, the process of getting a balloon in the air, doing a flight, landing and putting it away that almost anyone of any age can do. And you don't have to be of great physical strength or ability. We can People of all different abilities can get involved. Uh, some people perhaps... All they might be able to do is drive the chase truck, but that's a very important role. Uh, maybe they can't do the physical lifting or, or pushing and shoving that sometimes is involved, but there still can be a role for them. A lot of families in the sport of ballooning are multi-generational, where the kids grew up with mom and dad ballooning. Now they're ballooning and their kids are growing in, are coming into the sport. And they start out maybe working on the inflator fan or just simply helping to carry the, the, uh, the storage bag out and help unpack the balloon or pack it away. It's not something that, that is terribly physically laborious to do, especially if you have enough crew, in some ways, the more the merrier and the easier it is to all do. So it is a very social sport, and it's something that people from um, really all walks and all ages can get into, and that's a great thing about it, I think. And again, that, that leads back to the sharing nature of the sport. You know, some of my impressions from the last two days uh, have included things like the number of people that come here. It's just phenomenal how many thousands and tens of thousands of, of people come here. It's amazing to me how close 
the public can get to the balloons, to the pilots, to the crew, to the action that's that's taking place. And also the number of uh, children that uh, parents bring here. And I mean, not only do you see the glow, the the sparkle in the eyes of the parents, but you can really see it in, in the kids' eyes. And I think that's just amazing and you know, really an important thing to do. It's it's magic you know, in a way. Um, and, and it has a sense of imagination. And you look at the special shapes, which you may not have seen many of them yet, but toward the end of the week, when we have the special shapes days, uh, the rodeos, um, you know, the, the various caricatures um, and creatures and you name it that are turned into special shapes, um, it has, there is a certain creativity and imagination to it. And I think that sparks young people. Um, even when maybe they're too young to know it. Like you say, you just see a twinkle in the eye, but you know that it's there. And um, uh, yeah, it, and you don't find that a lot of times in airplanes. Now, those of us of our age, perhaps, you know, I, I'm a big Warbird fan. And so you get me around a Corsair or a Mustang, uh, you know, or, or, or a Spitfire and, and my heart beats a little faster. And my eyes start to leak. Um, but you don't see that with young people necessarily. Uh, but you will see that with them when it comes to, to ballooning. Um, so it's a great, I think, it's a great segment of aviation that really is underappreciated, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And um, partly what I, I'm looking to do is, is bring some more awareness to, uh, to those who might really enjoy activities like this, either as a, uh, as a pilot or as a participant or, or as a spectator. It's, it's, all, it's all great. Um, overall... What does the balloon fiesta, do you think, mean for ballooning? It's our Mecca. You know, it, it's our Oshkosh, as you and I were talking earlier, offline. It is the one event that every balloonist wants to go to. It's on every balloonist bucket list. Not necessarily to come year after year after year after year, but to say that you've been to Albuquerque. Um, it is that event and really always has been for a number of, of, you know, it's 50 years old now. Uh, it's been that way for decades, um, in part because of its size, in part because of the unique flying area that we find here, and in part because, again, of the social aspect. This is, you've probably heard us saying on the tower uh, this weekend, talking about how this really is a big family reunion. It's like you come and I see friends here that are very dear friends, but I only see them for once a year. So it's like a big family reunion where you run into all your aunts and uncles and cousins, uh, you know, once and twice and fifth times removed. So it's, um, yeah, it is our Oshkosh. It is our Mecca. It's the center of the ballooning world. Yeah, it definitely a must attend event if you're interested in in aviation or flying of, of any sort. Well, Glenn, I want to thank you for spending a few minutes with uh, with our audience. Really appreciate it. Again, uh, I'm I'm in awe of people who can do uh, announcing the way you do. So I, I will continue to um, try to emulate you to the degree that I am able. And where I'm not, I'll just edit it later in post. So, but again, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Glenn for taking the time out of his busy day to speak with us. Now. Monday night, it rained quite a bit, and I was surprised to be woken by a notification on my phone that the green flag was flying, meaning the balloons were free to launch. Now, the Balloon Fiesta has an app 
that sends notifications of the conditions. It's also got a map of the venue. It's got listings of all the balloons and the pilots, a lot of good information. So I'd recommend that if you attend this event. But this notification came through that the balloons could launch, and I peeked out the camper window, and all I saw was a cloudy gray sky. And I figured, yeah, this would be a good day to sleep in. But not too long after that, I heard a lot of commotion outside, and I peeked out again. Well, the sky was filled with balloons, and they were coming to the South RV Park where I was. In fact, some were landing in and around the park. Some were even launching from within the RV lot. What a great way to start the day. So I threw on a jacket, grabbed the camera, spent the next hour once again immersed in hot air balloons. Uh, the whole thing did make me feel good about being in the cheap lot because the high rollers in the presidential lot, some three quarters of a mile away, well, they didn't get the same show we had. Now, something else I wanted to mention. Did you know that there are radio-controlled balloons? I didn't. These are smaller scaled-down balloons. Now, to get the idea of the size, there was typically a stuffed animal or something similar in the basket of most of them. But the envelope is the same material. They have these little burners. They do fly them on a tether under drone rules, so under 400 feet. But just like the full-size balloons, they are initially filled with an air fan, then with the burner. The whole process is basically the same. They're pretty cool. And what a great way to get into ballooning with a much lower investment. Pretty neat. All right, I have some observations and tips. First of all, make your camping or hotel reservations as early as possible. These sell out almost immediately. I tried to get a camping spot in the RV lot in January, and now it's October. And I immediately went in January onto the waiting list. Now, I did eventually get a spot, but with 5,000 requests on the list behind me. Now, I think the 2023 Balloon Fiesta RV camping tickets go on sale January 11th, but check that to be sure, and they will sell out almost immediately. Now, if you're staying outside of the balloon park, the traffic getting in in the morning is horrible. Uh, use the shuttle service. Hotels are expensive, and there are other RV campgrounds around, but you'll have to get up even earlier to allow for travel time. On the mass ascension days, I set my alarm for 4.30. Uh, we bought used bicycles from a consignment shop to get from our campsite at the back of the RV lot to the launch field. We got them from Outdoor Regear. I would highly recommend them. They have a lot of, uh, not just bicycles, but a lot of really, really good outdoor kinds of equipment, clothing, and so forth. Uh, but they do have a big selection of bicycles, and you can buy something for you know not too much money and either sell it back to them after the show or consign it uh, at Outdoor Regear. Uh, but anyway, so 4.30 was our wake-up time. Uh, the drone show started at 5.45. That kicked off the day. So, uh, yeah, you have to plan on getting up early. And also, uh, pick the days you want to attend. You have to pay attention to the schedule. Also recognize that excessive wind or other weather can, and in fact did, cancel launches. Uh, 
Some people I met mentioned going for just a few days to the event and never seeing balloons launch. So if you plan on attending for just one or two days, you run that risk. So keep that in mind. Also, be sure to visit the museum. There's a great balloon museum here. Uh, if uh, you've got some downtime or something is uh, going on that doesn't draw you to the launch field or to some other events here, be sure to check out the museum. And in fact, Albuquerque itself has a lot to offer, but it's also one of the higher crime rate cities in the United States. Now, don't let that stop you, but just be aware and don't leave valuables visible when you're in town, especially. Otherwise, if you haven't attended the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta yet, you need to put it on your bucket list. There is nothing like it. All right. Thank you for listening to the Airplane Geeks podcast. You can find us in show notes for this episode at airplanegeeks.com. Now, the direct link to the show notes for this episode is, of course, airplanegeeks.com slash 719. Check that out. We have uh, links there, other resources that you'll find valuable. And you can reach us via email at thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. So please join us next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody.